Hello, friends and supporters of the Nowata Methodists. This is Jeffrey Rickman. I'm the voice that's always on this podcast. We started it a couple of years ago, and uh, we're glad to be able to offer it to those of you who can't be with us in worship and for those who are supporters from afar. Um, we hope this is always a blessing to you. The, it, the main thing that we do uh, on this podcast is uh, circulate the, the message that I preach on any given Sunday, and that's what this one is as well. But I want you to know a couple neat things should be coming out um, soon. First is a podcast that, uh, or a recording that Janice Drake and the late Jim Patton did where we talk about a lot of the good personalities and history of this congregation. So I'm hoping to have that out this week sometime, well, a couple, hopefully a couple days after this comes out. The other thing is um, I just secured a commitment uh, for an interview with the new district superintendent here in Nowata. His name's Tim Simpson, real friendly person. Um, looks like he's going to be moving here in early uh, July next month, and he and I will be able to sit down from there, and hopefully we'll give Nowata a picture of uh, this new gentleman who's going to be um, serving our community for some time. So if uh, <laughs> if you like to hear some content other than my sermons, then you might stay tuned for that. But um, this particular uh, episode of our podcast is going to be my proclamation of the word from this last Sunday. It's my third Sunday on the letter of Jude, and I didn't imagine we would spend this much time, but the more time I've spent reflecting on it week to week, the more guilty I have felt skipping over the explicit Old Testament references. So, um, this last Sunday we covered um, the story of Balaam's error and Cain's sin as well. Both of these are explicitly mentioned as pertinent in understanding who these people are who have snuck in into the church that are are, uh, causing people to stumble. So um, I I felt really good about this one, guys. There there are not many sermons that I really feel like, "Mm, I really did a decent job using the time well. And um, and I think, I think, I think this one was a good one. So I hope it was, I hope it is a blessing to you as you meditate on these things with me. I would urge you particularly we have this way of, as people, of insisting that things fit with our own worldview as it comes to us, and I think we have to um, allow the scriptures to come to us in their own context rather than the context we're comfortable with. So I hope you can suspend that skepticism that you might come to the scriptures with and uh, allow a new consideration as you entertain how it is that the church is supposed to comport and govern itself in the modern world. All right, I've talked enough. Enjoy the podcast. We'll see you. Welcome to the No Water Methodist Church Podcast, where we hope to encourage you in your spiritual journey so that you may be a blessing to your local church and to the world. Jude was written, of course, uh, by a guy named Jude with a specific concern in mind, and and we'll see him remind us of it. We're going to start at the very beginning again, verse 1. 
and it's to contend for the faith against those who are attacking it. And then he describes people who are attacking the Christian faith, and it gives us means of identifying who is upending the church from within. Now, we would like to believe that God's sovereignty operates in such a way that he protects his church so that we don't have to. That is not the deal. God has given us agency, authority. He has entrusted us to care for his bride, the body of Christ, not just pastors. Every single one of us have been given the tools by God's holy word to discern what is good and what is bad, what is right and what is wrong, what belongs in the community of faith, and what does not. Anyone have a garden? What happens if you stop weeding? The weeds take over, right? Anything that has a purpose in life has to be guarded. You have to, you know, if anyone's a, uh, an auto mechanic, you have to keep uh, taking care of your gear. If you don't take care of your gear, eventually it breaks down, falls apart. Anything in life requires maintenance and care. And it's the exact same thing with the community of faith. That's what we're dealing with here. So I'm going to remind you of the things that we've talked about throughout because I know that you, like me, struggle with forgetfulness, Life comes along and distracts you, and I bet a lot of you haven't meditated on this at all since we talked about it last week. So I'm going to remind you, and by God, we're going to hold on to it, aren't we? Let's do it. Jude, a brother of Jesus and a servant of Jesus and a brother of James, to those who have been called, to those who are loved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ. That's us. Mercy, peace, and love be yours in abundance. Dear friends, although I was very eager to write you about the salvation we share, I felt compelled to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to God's holy people. There is a, an aesthetic, an ethic that applies scripturally to our lives. We live in a culture that doesn't want the negative, it only wants the positive, right? We got a bunch of people that metaphorically like eating dessert and not their vegetables. And what he says is, I want to write you about the dessert. I want to write you about salvation. I want to rejoice in the grace that we share. But what is needful before that is, I got to remind you what it means to fight. Because remember, contending is fighting, right? Contender is fight. He says, I need to equip you to fight. Why would, he need, why would that be more important than rejoicing in the blessings? Verse 4, he explains it. For certain individuals whose condemnation was written about long ago, have secretly slipped in among you. They are ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ, our only sovereign and Lord. Is this a big deal? Yeah, absolutely it is. Because we humans are not an island unto ourselves. We're very much influenced by the people around us, right? And everybody knows this when they have a kid who starts hanging around with, with a, a crowd that, that doesn't bring out the best in them. We know that's the case for kids. For some reason, adults sometimes think that they can spend time and energy on people that bring out the worst in them and they won't be harmed. That's a lie from the evil one. The people we're around affect us. Now, when people out there are dead in sins and a bad influence, well, of course they are. But when people inside the community of faith are a bad influence and bring out the worst in each other, that's when the community of salvation stops being the community of salvation. So we, 
like a good healthy body, have to have an immune system that identifies when a virus has entered in and expels. Now, as soon as you start using this kind of language, a lot of people get very uncomfortable because we all have a stereotype in our head of religious communities that start just kicking people out left and right, and oh boy, they're so judgmental and hateful. I'm not worried about that because when the Holy Spirit is there, so is grace. And what you find as you go through the scriptures is Christians authentically are very gracious. And Jesus tells us to forgive one another, not just seven times, but seven times, 77 times. We should, as long as there is repentance, there is infinite forgiveness. Amen? As long as anyone in the body says, I give up on myself, I renounce my sin, I am so sorry for my sin, please forgive me. 100% of the time we say, you are forgiven. But it's only when people start saying, you know what, I don't really feel that bad about my sin. I don't really think my sin is that bad. I think I was born this way. I have natural urges. I'm giving in to my natural desires. This is how all sin works, by the way. I'm not making one dig at any particular sin. This is how all sin works. People start to feel this is a part of me, right? Did Jesus ever address what to do when sin is a part of us? Something about if your hand causes you to sin. Is your hand part of you? If your hand causes you to sin, you cut it off. Jesus fully anticipated people saying, this is a part of me. He fully anticipated that. He equipped us for that so that the faithful answer is, brother, got to get rid of your hand then. It might feel like it's a part of you. Cut it off. Jesus says, it's better to go into heaven maimed than into hell with your body fully intact. Jesus fully anticipated this. This is how the body of faith is to operate. As long as individuals are in here willing to chop their hands off to be right with Christ Jesus, this works. The moment you have people coming in, I'm not going to make you chop your hands off. This is metaphor, okay? My wife is looking at me like people are not listening to you anymore. But the, the life of faith requires sacrifice. And as long as everybody is willing to sacrifice, this works. As soon as you have people coming in saying, I don't need to sacrifice anything. I'm great. You know what? You should listen to me. I got a message where you don't have to chop your hand off. Paul said, if anyone brings a gospel to you other than the one we brought to you, let that person be accursed. There is only one gospel. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. It requires sacrifice. And yes, he says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. He quotes Micah in saying that. But that Hebrew phraseology does not mean there is no sacrifice. That means mercy is more important than sacrifice. And that's what governs us in the Christian faith. We should have mercy on one another. Do we? Should we not? Nobody is making the case for an unmerciful society. Nobody is making the case for an unmerciful church. But what you find when the church is removed is there is no mercy in society. And that's what we find today in our culture. That's what cancel culture is all about. As soon as somebody rises in the ranks somewhere, somebody digs up dirt on them from 20, 30, 40 years ago, and there is no forgiveness. There is no repentance. In fact, repenting makes it worse. And in other societies where you see godless communism rises up, and communism by nature is godless. The, the founders of it, uh, Marx et al. said that religion is the opiate of the masses, right? It's, it's, a, it's a crutch. Anytime you see the rise of communism or atheism, you see the rise of what's, what is usually called struggle sessions, where groups of people get together and they start picking on each other for hours. I remember I studied Jim Jones' cult, and they would have 
struggle sessions together. And that's what a lot of people imagine when they think about purifying the church. We're going to get together and have a struggle session and kick people out. And that is not what's going to happen. That's not what's going to happen here by God. <laughs> Once you let the sheep start attacking each other, good luck having a flock. But that, this has nothing to do with sheep. This has to do with wolves coming in with sheep garments on. What do we do then? And some people want to believe, oh, you know, God will protect us. We don't need to worry about it. And those kind of people will see their churches decline in relevance and functionality. They will have dysfunctional churches that eventually crater and die. And they will deserve to die because they did not contend for the faith that was entrusted to them. Anybody ever let your father down that trusted you? I remember one time, I, I'm not going to tell you the story because it doesn't matter and we all have... But I remember my father looked me in the eyes and said, I am so disappointed in you. And man, that pain cuts right to the heart. And to imagine that I've caused my father in heaven that pain, who never did anything but good to me. Well, does he not deserve repentance? Does he not deserve faithfulness? Verse 4, verse 5, excuse me. Though you already know all this, I want to remind you, that the Lord at one time delivered his people out of Egypt, but later destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not keep their positions of authority, but abandoned their proper dwelling, these he has kept in darkness, bound with everlasting chains for judgment on the great day. And in a similar way, Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding towns gave themselves up to sexual immorality and perversion. They serve as an example of those who suffered the punishment of eternal fire. So these are three examples, hyperlinks to the Old Testament. We looked back on one of them that links back to Genesis 6, 1 through 4, where it talked about the angels falling into sin. And what you notice in all of these group sin dynamics is, whether it's among the angels or the humans, they band together and they say, God loves us. He can't, band, uh, he can't bear to hurt us. Let's all sin together, and then we'll get away with it. He'll change the rules for us. And what you see throughout the Bible is he doesn't change the rules for anybody. And the question is not, does God love us? Does God love us? Absolutely. There is no question there. That is not a question. Anyone who says that a God who punishes does not love is intentionally being ridiculous. Because what the Bible says is the Lord does love us and the Lord will punish us. Those two things are not at odds. We might as a very licentious culture, put those things at odds. There are parents who look this way at their kids and they never punish their kids for doing anything wrong. How are those kids turning out? Bad. If you don't give, if you don't discipline your kids, things do not, and I'm not saying you need to hit them. Some people get triggered at this. But I'm saying if there is no discipline, if there is no correction, if there is never any stick, all carrot, the kids are not all right. Same with God. God has carrot, salvation. He has stick, damnation. All throughout life, there are carrots and sticks. This is what he's talking about here. There are groups of people that God has made known. He loves them. And yet when they rebel, he punishes. We can take comfort in God only insofar as we are good to him as he is good to us. If we continue to take for granted his love and behave licentiously, then God will call our bluff. 
In the very same way, on the strength of their dreams, we're in verse 8, these ungodly people pollute their own bodies. They reject authority. They heap abuse on celestial beings. You know, it's funny. We live in a society where there is more medicine, medical intervention than any culture has ever had, and yet... We are the most unhealthy culture in the world, to my knowledge. Maybe Mexico has us beat. But when you're looking at what we put into our bodies, whether it be pharmaceuticals or just garbage food, when you look at sedentary lifestyles, lack of people just getting out and walking around the block, getting some vitamin D, we trash our bodies. We cover them with, with uh, and you know, I'm not saying it's a sin to get tattooed, but what does it say when you've just covered your body in tattoos and you don't resemble the body that God gave you? What does it say when you hate your own body and you go through drastic surgeries to change it? Our culture is dealing with this in a big way and nobody in, in the public limelight that I see outside of the church acknowledges something's wrong here. These people are very sick. Our culture is very sick. But what Jude is highlighting here is when you're polluting your own body, that comes from spiritual sickness. Jesus knew, if you ever noticed, that anytime he was exercising demons, he was also physically healing people, right? The physical and the spiritual are tied together. We live in a very sick culture that's destroying itself physically. No, no amount of medicine is able to save a deranged and sick people. Now, that's not meant in a spirit of condemnation, mind you, because there is an answer to this sickness, and his name is Jesus and his community as the church. My issue is when people think, oh, just more mental health treatment, or just more drugs, or just more education, or just the right policy will solve these problems. We're not dealing with problems that are political or scientific or medical in nature. We're dealing with spiritual problems. And the solution is nothing that the United States government can do. There is no political solution. The only solution is Christ Jesus. And that's the one solution nobody wants to hear about, including a lot of people in the church. God help us. Verse 9, but even the archangel Michael, when he was disputing with the devil about the body of Moses, did not himself dare to condemn him for slander, but said, the Lord rebuke you. Yet these people, they slander whatever they do not understand. And the very things they do understand by instinct, as irrational animals do, will destroy them. This morning on the way to Delaware worship, Jesse said, Hey, Daddy, what would we do if a duck came to worship? And I said, Well, Jesus didn't die for ducks, so that duck's out of here. <laughs> and that's the reality, is Christ died for God's imagers in the world. He died for us. You know, same thing for aliens. Apparently, aliens might be real. I don't, I don't know about this, but Jesus didn't die for aliens. He died for us. He didn't die for angels. He died for us. Humans are the unique imagers of Christ, of, of God in the world. And yet, that means we are called to be godly in the world, not animalistic. But we find all kinds of people treating humans like we're just animals, baby. We got these natural desires and drives and lusts. You know, who are we to fight it? God made us this way. Give in. That's the voice of the evil one. And there are people who come into the church 
And they say, oh, how dare we talk about this sin? We know enough now about human nature. We know genetically, sociologically, we're made this way. We're bent towards idolatry. We're bent towards hoarding and greed and envy. We should just give in to these things. And I'm not just talking about liberal folks. I'm talking about conservatives who are all about capitalism. You ever notice capitalism is bent on the drive to get rich? It's bent on a perpetual drive of dissatisfaction, not being happy with where you are. I need more stuff. I need to create more. I need to get more. And I don't mean to say that if you're a capitalist, you're a sinner. I mean to say that no matter what earthly ideology you have, if it goes too far, it will separate you from God. So I know there's some people that think I'm a right-wing nut. I'm just a partisan hack. I don't know for the right. I'm not. There are a lot of problems on the right. There are a lot of problems on the left. The only way to be right with God is not even the center. It's Jesus, and he don't fit on that paradigm. I didn't get an amen there. I guess I need to preach on that more. We're not called to be animals. We're called to be godly. Can anyone say amen to that? He's talking about the, the infiltrators. Woe to them. They have taken the way of Cain. They have rushed for profit into Balaam's error. They have been destroyed in Korah's rebellion. Those are three hyperlinks to the Old Testament. We studied Korah's rebellion last week. And I took for granted that everybody knew the story of Cain and the story of Balaam, and I don't think that was right. So today we are going to go to those two, and that's going to be the remainder of worship. It's going to take us a little bit more than four minutes, and you're going to forgive me. Amen? Amen. See, that's what I said, a community of mercy. You are so merciful to me. You know, I, it, it really bothers me that I'm breaking the biblical commandments that it says worship should only last an hour, and we're always going an hour, and, and I'm breaking the Bible when I do that. Some people, some people know I'm joking there. The Bible does not say worship should only be an hour. It's, it's really, we're in a weird culture. We're in a weird culture that only worships for an hour. No other culture has really done that. Um, Cain and Abel, Genesis chapter 4. When it's talking about how they, we, uh, rebels within the church, go the way of Cain, you need to know the story of Cain. So let's, let's remind ourselves the story of Cain. Genesis chapter 4, verse 1. This is on page 6 of your Bibles. I also let J.C. know, so he's going to have it projected here. This is after Adam and Eve fell into sin, were expelled from the Garden of Eden. Adam made love to his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Later, she gave birth to his brother Abel. So Cain is the firstborn. Now Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. And the Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. Here's, here's what's happening. He is coveting. You ever see that somebody has it easier than you or better than you? You know that part of your brain that goes, they don't deserve that. I deserve that. That's not fair. It should be different. You know that part of your brain? I'm the only sinner here has that part of brain? Here's what happens with that part of your, well, it's really not your brain. It's your spirit. Verse 6, then the Lord said to Cain, 
Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what's right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. God saw it coming. He warned him. This is one of those scriptures that I think makes the case for free will. Why would God warn Cain if Cain was just only ever going to do it? There's always a choice. There's always a choice to make. God warned him. Verse 8, now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. While they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where's your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you are under a curse and driven from the ground, which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops to you. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth. I think that's as far as we go. Yeah, this is the word of the Lord. So the sin here was covetousness resulting in violence. But remember, James says, why do you have all these disagreements and sins between you? It's because you covet one another. You want more. I, uh, I didn't post it on Facebook, but I did post it. I, I put it somewhere. Um, a meme. Oh, gosh, I got to go back down to the bottom here. It was a good quote. A Christian should not say, I have not only, a Christian should say, I have not only enough, but I have all. How does the Christian have all? Because he has God who is all. If we have God, should we want for anything else? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I shall not want. We say, I mean, how many, how many times have we heard that? And then we go home and we want things. And we look at someone else who has, and we envy them. So that's the sin of Cain. What's the sin of Balaam? We're going to Numbers chapter 22 now. Found on page. We're going to read Balaam's sin, and then we're going to wrap this up in a bow. It's on page 244 in your pew Bibles. So... This is taking place after the Israelites have been liberated from slavery in Egypt. God has been helping them wander through the, the, the wilderness. They are now approaching the promised land. There are all these people, Amorites, uh, Amalekites, Moabites, Midianites. Everybody is threatened by them because they're a huge army, essentially. And anytime there's a huge influx of immigrants in any given area, there's going to be a lot of upset. And there is a lot of upset when they come in. In fact, they just wipe the Canaanites out for the most part. Anyway, there is no uniting against armies, uh, God's armies. God is, is with them. And so this king is going to try and hire Balaam, who is not a Jew. He's not an Israelite. Balaam would be considered like a, 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 a diviner, uh, a mystic, a wizard. He's someone who taps into the spiritual realm. Okay, so here's Balaam's sin. Numbers chapter 22. Then the Israelites traveled to the plains of Moab and camped along the Jordan across from Jericho. Now Balak, son of Zippor, saw that Israel had what they had done to the Amorites, and Moab was terrified because there were so many people. 
Moab is a country, Balak is a person. He's the king of that country. Indeed, Moab was filled with dread because of the Israelites. The Moabites said to the elders of Midian, this horde is going to lick up everything around us as an ox licks up the grass of the field. So Balak, son of Zippor, who was king of Moab at the time, sent messengers to summon Balaam. In America, we usually call him Balaam, so I'm going to call him Balaam. Balaam, son of Beor, who was at Pethor near the Euphrates River in his native land. So this is Mesopotamia, Aram. This is further north. Balak said, A people has come out of Egypt. They cover the face of the land and have settled next to me. Now come and put a curse on these people because they are too powerful for me. Perhaps then I will be able to defeat them and drive them out of the land. For I know that whoever you bless is blessed and whoever you curse is cursed. The elders of Moab and Midian left, taking with them the fee for divination. Now, hold on to that fee portion, because that's what what figures into this. When they came to Balaam, they told him what Balak had said. Spend the night here, Balaam said to them, and I will report back to you with an answer that the Lord gives me. So the Moabite official stayed with him. God came to Balaam and asked, who are these men with you? Balaam said to God, Balak, son of Zippor, king of Moab, sent me this message. A people that has come out of Egypt covers the face of the land. Now they come and put a curse on them for me. Now come and, and put a curse on them for me. Perhaps then I will be able to fight them and drive them away. But God said to Balaam, do not go with them. You must not put a curse on those people because they are blessed. The next morning, Balaam got up and said to Balak's, uh, Balak's officials, go back to your own country for the Lord has refused to let me go with you. So the Moabite officials returned to Balak and said, Balaam refused to come with us. So he ups the ante then, comes. We're going to skip ahead a little bit. Verse 20. Let's skip to verse 20. That night, God came to Balaam and said, Since these men have come to summon you, go with them, but do only what I tell you. Now that's a weird thing because of what comes next. And I'm not going to be able to wrap this in a pretty bow. But what comes next is the actual sin. Balaam got up in the morning, saddled his donkey, and went with the Moabite officials. But God was very angry when he went. And the angel of the Lord stood in the road to oppose him. So what's weird about this is God the night before said, go with them. And now it says he's angry that he went. That's what I can't wrap in a pretty little bow. But what matters here is God is now angry with him and standing in his way. Balaam was riding on his donkey, and his two servants were with him. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with a drawn sword in his hand, it turned off the road into a field. Balaam began to beat it back on, uh, to get it back on the road. Then the angel of the Lord stood in a narrow path through the vineyards with walls on both sides. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, it pressed close to the wall, crushing Balaam's foot against it. So he beat the donkey again. Animal lovers hate this story. Then the angel of the Lord moved on ahead and stood in a narrow place where there was no room to turn, either to the right or to the left. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, it lay down under Balaam, and he was angry, and he beat it with his staff. Then the Lord opened the donkey's mouth, and it said to Balaam, I can't do a donkey impression, I'm just going to say it normal. What have I done to you to make you beat me these three times? Balaam answered the donkey, I just think it's so weird that he talks back to it. (laughs) 
You have made a fool of me. If only I had a sword in my hand, I would kill you right now. The donkey said to Balaam, Am I not your own donkey, which you have always ridden to this day? Have I been in the habit of doing this to you? No, he said. Now the short sermon in this is there are people in your life who love you and you know it. And there are going to be times that they don't go with you and you have a decision to make. Are you going to see them as an enemy or are you going to remind yourself of how much they love you? I have to do this with my kids every day. Do I love you? Yes. All right. Don't do that thing. Adults are the same. We need to remember that, especially as we engage in the church together. Sometimes we feel very judged, very oppressed by each other. We have to remember we love each other here so that we're not beating each other up like Balaam was with his donkey. Verse 31, Then the Lord opened Balaam's eyes, and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with his sword drawn. So he bowed low, and he fell face down. The angel of the Lord asked him, Why have you beaten your donkey these three times? I've come here to oppose you because your path is a reckless one before me. The donkey saw me and turned away from me these three times. If it had not turned away, I would certainly have killed you by now. But I would have spared it. Oh, but I would have spared it. I would have spared the donkey, not you. Balaam said to the angel of the Lord, I have sinned. I did not realize you were standing in the road to oppose me. Now, if you are displeased, I will go back. And then it goes on from there. He says, no, go on. And then what happens after that is what happens after that. We don't need to read that part of the story. We got to the sin. The sin is God stands in your way, but your self-interest makes you want to go forward. And you do away with the people warning you so that you get what you want. So let's look at verse 11 one more time in Jude. Woe to them. They have taken the way of Cain. They have rushed for profit into Balaam's error. They have been destroyed in Korah's rebellion. So we're going we're gonna to stop here today, but I'm going to try and connect these dots that we've been connecting for three weeks. We talked about the group rebellions before. The angels and Sodom and Gomorrah and the Israelites, they all got together and they said, if we're all together in sin, God won't judge us. He won't punish us. So if there's anyone in the body who says, hey, if we all do it, it's not so bad. If everybody else is doing it, it's not so bad. Jude is warning us about people like that. And then whenever it gets to Cain, we're warned about people who are covetous, who are always desiring more, who are envious of others. It says, if you got people like that in the church, beware of them. And then it comes to Balaam. If you got people who are so set on doing what they want that they abuse anyone who gets in their way, and they want that money, and they want that, that pleasure, and they want that status. Well, beware of that person. And then it gets into Korah's rebellion. That's what we covered last week, right? Korah led that rebellion saying, hey, we're all God's children. We all deserve authority. We, we don't have to follow authority whatsoever. I'm going to do what's right in my own eyes. Well, if you have people like that in the church, Jude says, beware. See, you can't read Jude right if you don't remind yourself of what stories he's calling on. You're just going down this list going, yeah, 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 bad guys, bad guys, bad guys. No, you've got to remember what made them the bad guys. And what's at root of all of that is selfish desire. Who do you belong to? Do you, are you your own? Do you belong to yourself? Children, what is our only hope in life and death? That we are not our own but belong to God. 
And when God has told us how we should live together, then far be it from us to do things any different way. Amen? Amen. Let's stand and sing our closing hymn, number 530, Are Ye Able?